the difference is, is in the emotive story. How good is that emotive story of an image and how much does that influence the ultimate purchases? You are listening to the Property Developer Podcast, your home for tips, ideas and inspiration to help take your developing to the next level. Now here's your host, Justin Getty. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Property Developer Podcast, a show dedicated to helping you take your developing business to the next level. I've been well and I hope you are also in fine spirits. As I mentioned in the last episode, I've been trying to secure another development site and have completed all my due diligence and feel confident in buying. The site is going to auction in a couple of days and I have been trying to secure it before auction day, but so far without success. It is a family selling their mother's home to move her into care, and apparently the kids are having a hard time agreeing on a price, which is why they are taking it to auction. Anyway, the auction is in a couple of days, so next time I might have some exciting news to share with you, so stay tuned. The townhouse development is going along nicely, the roof is going on for the back terrace, and the first floor frames are going in along the front row of townhouses. I visited the site last week and made sure to stop and buy some new rubber boots before I stepped on site which was lucky because it was very muddy and wet. And the tradies on site gave me a bit of a ribbing about my brand new boots, but it didn't take long for them to get pretty dirty. I made a short video of how the site looks, which I'll publish in the show notes for this episode. So head across to the Property Developer website, propertydeveloperpodcast.com, and check it out. So in this episode, I speak with visual artist Stan Zaslavsky from Eagle Vision about digital images and visual marketing materials, something that plays a key role when selling off the plan. I find there is such a variety of quality with visual marketing materials, from the downright terrible to absolutely amazing, and everything in between. And the cost for marketing materials ranges from cheap to significant. As previous guest Ben Buxton said, There is a real importance to imagery. It draws in the viewer and should dazzle and seduce. Digital images or renders are such a critical part of selling off the plan, as they are often the first contact potential buyers have with your project or product, and it must move them to take action, which is most likely to contact your agent. During the discussion, Stan talked about a valuable resource you can access to get your best visual imagery done for your next project. I'll share how you can get that later in the show. So I raised a lot of questions with Stan about digital images and marketing tools. We talked about what makes good visual imagery, what questions you should ask a visual artist, and why renders can play a critical part in the planning application process. Of course, I started off by asking Stan what his favourite food is. Wow, food. Um, My background was from Georgia. And there's lots and lots of uh, delicious foods that uh, came from there. So there's a particular cheese pie that uh, is made over there. I reckon I could eat it until cows come home. Yeah, what's it called? It's called Hajapuri. And its translation is exactly cheese pie. (laughs) (laughs) It's really complicated. Just cheese. Just cheese. (laughs) And uh, obviously it all... I think there's about 20 different varieties of it. So it can come with a egg and cheese and it can come with cheese by itself and obviously in a pastry and the pastry can be different and the egg can be runny or the egg can be without and it has a myriad different varieties. Of well, it. I reckon any dish where the prime ingredient is cheese is yes. bound to be pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it'll work well. <laughs> okay, Stan, we're here today to talk about uh, digital visualisation and imagery that developers use to market their products. Yep. 
Can you give us a bit of a background on how you got into being a visual a visual artist? Sure. Yeah, certainly. So um, I'd come from background of engineering and industrial design. Uh, I studied both of these degrees uh, at uni and worked in both of the careers. And around about 2000, I'd come across the property space and investment and property development. And that area was of real interest to me because I found that it was much more exciting than sitting in front of the computer with an industrial design product that needed to be detailed in AutoCAD. And so I went into that space full-time in 2001. And for the next seven or so years, I actually sold development sites and bought development sites and was involved in a lot of different development projects on the marketing side of things. What I then found by about 2008 was that I wanted to start my own thing. And within that, I saw a lot of developments being marketed with fairly substandard imagery. Um, At the time, there was a project in Malvern that was a renovation of probably a couple of million dollar house that was used with some really rough conceptual sketching. And that was put on the board and it was used in all the marketing collateral. And I thought, well, there must be a space in here to deliver something higher quality, maybe come in with a bit of an edge in terms of delivery timeframes because I had a background in technology as well as industrial design so I understood the fact that the world was getting smaller and smaller. There were time differences that we could utilise to deliver things faster. Um, And so I thought, yeah, it was a good time to start and we've built up the team from there on. And so Eagle Vision is the name of your company. So Eagle Vision, we started off as Eagle Vision Property. Uh, and after a lot of people were telling me, look, are you a real estate agent? Um, I thought, let's shorten it a little bit, make it Eagle Vision. And uh, it is about bringing across, I guess, cutting edge uh, renders for a variety of projects from residential through to commercial through to industrial, everything. We've done a lot of different projects. Okay, so can you tell us a little bit about some of the services or that you would provide? Because sure. obviously there's stills. Yeah. And I think these yeah. days there's a bit more of a range of, of, course. of tools that are available yeah. to, my, uh, yeah. to developers. Definitely. So I guess the journey for us starts a lot of the time with property developers going through the town planning process. Often for town planning, they need planning montages, which is the, I guess technical term of how these buildings are going to look within the context of a street. So we work a lot in that space of providing those images as well as the higher level up, which is the VCAT or the Victorian Civil Administrative Tribunal, uh, the renders required for the actual hearings and legal applications where they need to be absolutely spot on in terms of how they fit within the street. So, And it's quite an involved process with photography and 3D surveys and obviously our delivery of imagery that needs to represent how the buildings are going to work with textures, materials, landscaping, all of those elements. Um, once the developers have a planning permit, then obviously it's the marketing stage. At the marketing stage, it can be anything from still images, as what you mentioned, of basically just a frame that will represent the building in its best light, uh, through to floor plans and graphic collateral like that for selling these units off the plan, and through to animated uh, imagery. So these are films, essentially, where there is a lot of CGI animation together with lifestyle footage, together with we've done drone footage and combined it together with all those elements 
um, with music and voiceover and creating all lights and action basically going on to create an emotive story that sells the development in its best light, essentially. Yeah, and I think that's the, really the key to what these marketing tools are about is generating emotion. So trying to get buyers to picture themselves yeah. in an amazing new property or in the property that you're marketing. That's right. And this is where I suppose I leverage a lot on the background of actual marketing that I've had in the development space. Uh, we often give a lot of developers advice in terms of how they could represent it best based on real on-the-ground experience. Um, it isn't about telling them too much or telling the purchasers too much. It is about bringing the development, whichever elements there are, in their best light and how to present it best. Yeah. Yeah, and I've seen some pretty terrible renders used on uh, listings, online listings, and I just shake my head that people would actually put those on sure. their listing when they're trying to encourage someone to make a half a million dollar investment or more, yeah. and yeah. the renders just look crap. Look, the challenge is that it's often not even the artist's fault. Um, technology that is being used is probably the same throughout. It is more up to the developer and their experience and what they're able to communicate to the artist to then deliver to them. And often the developer will have one particular idea in their mind, but the actual implementation of it can go completely left field because the artist is just waiting for instructions. The developer is telling them to make this color red, they'll do it red. It still doesn't look good, so the developer says, okay, now make it green, they'll make it green. And on and on it goes until either there's probably three parts to that equation. One is everybody gets really frustrated of the whole thing. The developer says, fine, just finalize it. Let's get it going because time is short. We need to sell. Second could be that the developer has enough now, I suppose, and says, right, stop. I'm going to go somewhere else because you're obviously not getting it right. Or hopefully the last uh, solution is that the artist actually gets it right enough that the developer likes it. But in all of those three cases, a lot of time is wasted. In property development, one of the critical keys is time. Um, every day that they're not on the market after they've got their town planning permit, costing the developers, as you would know, uh, interest and mortgages on the land and council fees and all sorts of other things that are being outlaid. And the marketing is really a very small proportion of a feasibility. However, in terms of its impact, it's massive because every time that a purchaser looks at the project and doesn't make a decision to pick up the phone and make a call, is costing the developers a lot of money. That is their immediate, I suppose, interface to the purchasers of what their product is all about. So that's where a lot of developers, unfortunately, leave the marketing decision till the very last and don't allocate enough money in the feasibility for high-quality imagery. And when they get to that final point, they start thinking, oh, okay, well, I need to now somehow showcase it, and unfortunately realise that the budgets have been tightened because construction costs have gone up or this has gone up. They haven't accounted for some of the extra items that might have popped up. And then all of a sudden they have to allocate more money to the renders, which is where... The experienced developers make the call every time and they say it's not about extra couple of thousand bucks. It is about getting the best 
view of my development out there to the marketplace because we've got to stand out. All the competition that's out there that may be using whatever quality imagery, ours need to look the best. Yeah, I would have thought it's a critical part of your marketing plan and you need to allocate sufficient money to cover getting good renders done. Yeah. Is there some kind of percentage that you would generally suggest to people that they allocate to getting renders done? Sure, look, good question. I suppose from where we have seen it come down, there is a bit of a rule of thumb that you could almost allocate about $1,000 per unit and that should be an overall marketing visuals budget for a project so if it's a seven townhouse project roughly about seven thousand dollars is where the developer should think about however in some cases that would probably work well for an average development if these seven units are in a upmarket suburb that are each going to be worth two to three million dollars then those images are just not going to be enough that budget's not going to be enough Um, the buyers buying at that level are very different so i suppose the way that we price things up, it looks it's more about the target market. Who are we trying to approach and who are we trying to appeal our product to? So um, if these seven units are in Ringwood and they're probably going to be worth between 300 and let's say 450, 500, then we think about that it's more about a, a first home buyer or an investor market that are going to be looking at buying these apartments. Um, in which case they'll more so be concerned about the financials rather than so much about the look of those images. So um, as much as, yes, those images need to be high quality, perhaps they don't need to see a kitchen and living area separately. If you combine those together, then for us it's an easier pathway and obviously it's cheaper for the developer to, do, to create that. So you might be able to get away with only two interiors, a bathroom separate and a kitchen living combined images together with an exterior image. However, if these same seven units are in, let's say, Turak, where each one of them will be worth, as mentioned, a couple of million bucks each, the buyers there are definitely owner-occupiers. Owner-occupiers are much more discerning. They're much more picky around what actually needs to be shown to them. So then areas like an alfresco or an entry foyer or an part of a bedroom that might be leading out into walk-in robes that has a specific feature about how something works. Those additional images may well be required, which obviously increases the budget that needs to be allocated to a project like that. Okay, very good. And then I was going to ask which rooms and which angles, whether that makes any difference. Of course. Um, Again, it comes down to what the target market is for the development. We recently worked on a project which was a very large estate which had a whole range of different housing products that needed to be presented with every different variation. Everything in that project was being sold offshore. So the developers had a very clear brief that basically everything needs to be presented. Every different bedroom, every different kitchen, every different living area. And they knew that they were dealing with enough obviously houses that they could allocate to it however if we come down to our average three-story apartment building most of the apartments are probably going to be very similar if they're two bedrooms then probably a kitchen and a living area might be combined if there is a way to show that off together fantastic 
then perhaps a view of the background can be dropped in. Uh, we recently worked on another project in Sandringham where there were 16 apartments there. Each one of them was probably between 800 to a million or thereabouts in terms of the price bracket. And their owner-occupiers were the primary target market. So as much as they wanted to see the couple of different kitchen colour schemes, it was also about the lifestyle. And the lifestyle was that from the top floor you could actually see out to the bay. So we utilised some drone photography, got that panorama background, dropped that into the renders, and the result spoke for itself. They've sold so far nine out of the 16 uh, within, I think, about three months from launch. So they were very happy. All right. And then what about, I'm always curious about including people oh, yes. in renders and whether sure. that's something that you do or, and how yeah. you would choose them. Yeah, definitely. People is probably one of the trickiest elements of achieving realism within 3D imagery because in the space that we're in, which is high-end imagery for developments, it is about creating an impression of life. It is about creating an impression of what would it be like when the building is completed and then the purchaser is living there and interacting with the environment. So putting people into renders can often be off-putting, especially if the people that are being put in are either coming from a 3D library or they're a Photoshop cutout of a person's photo placed into the image. If that is not done well, it's the fastest way to turn a person off a particular still image. Um, in order to get them right, which some are able to achieve that, um, often you might need a green room where you could simulate the same lighting environment as it is for the actual render, taking a photo of the person that is actually selected, dressing them in the clothes that are going to be applicable to the target market, and then putting an image like that in a high enough resolution within the images and post-processing them to actually blend them in to the space. So to get them right, it is quite an intricate process. To get them wrong, it's really easy. So that's where most of the time people in renders are a dead giveaway that it's a render rather than an actual photo. And because what we're trying to achieve is delivery of a photorealistic image, putting people in is a really contentious choice. However, in some cases, if people are not placed in, then it makes it look wrong. And so you might have a large shopping centre and to visualise that, you have to have people there. Without people, it's wrong you shouldn't have an image like that. And so, um, yeah, there's a variety of ways of putting people into renders. Um, however, we try to steer away from having too many people in there. Uh, to just give you an idea for the process of a green room, studio and shoot and talent and all that kind of stuff, it might add from two to $5,000 per image to the budget of the campaign. Um, for some developments, that is appropriate. For most, they probably won't do it. All right. So you touched on high-end. So yes. How would you define or what would be the difference between, say, an entry-level yeah. renderer, yeah. visual visual artist, sure. mid-range, yeah. and then high-end? Yeah, of course. What's the difference and why would that be different? Well, you can probably draw a parallel to the car industry, I suppose. Um, 
a Hyundai will probably get you from point A to B in the same fashion as perhaps a Mercedes would. However, the experience may be a bit different. The comfort level will be a bit different. The features possibly will be different. So if we bring it back to our industry, um, a low-end can be either a offshore supplier uh, or could be a, um, let's say, a graphic designer that's graduated university, that's done some multimedia study, that has a copy of 3D Studio Max on their computer. Uh, however, their experience in the actual property space may be limited. Their capacity to output images may be limited. So for certain projects, if the budget is restricted, those one-man operators could be enough. However, if it's a marketing campaign for a 15 to 100 apartment project, those one-man operators will just not be able to handle the capacity and the delivery time frame because we typically have five to six weeks to deliver all the imagery. If it's a multi-story development, then there probably is a combination of interior and exterior imagery in which case they all need to be run in parallel. If they're not run parallel, then they take far too long. And a marketing agency that has already in mind a launch date and rolls all the media allocation and everything else around that date, if the imagery is not delivered, then it's not good, as you can imagine. If it's a two-unit development somewhere in, let's say, Seaford, um, which is a lower, I suppose, uh, demographic area, um, a one-man operator will be fine. He'll need to deliver the couple of images, or three images perhaps, and then if he does, he or she takes a couple of weeks longer, it's not a big deal. Uh, there probably isn't a massive printing campaign, there probably isn't a massive uh, launch strategy with uh, offshore marketing channels. Um, so in those cases, it would work all right. And, and what's uh, the, there's a big price difference there as well. So sure. you're talking a couple hundred bucks maybe to a couple of thousand to upwards of $5,000 yep. per image. Yeah. What's the, the price? Where, where does that come into it or what drives that? Yeah, sure thing. So um, as, again, we talked about the car industry, it's the same thing the $200 or $300 image will probably be satisfactory if the area that the property is being marketed in is not very sophisticated. However, if the project is in an area of Turak and the imagery is not good enough, then the project will be a failure, as we've seen many, many times of uh, substandard imagery. So... But in terms of actual the technical side of things, if that's what you're asking about, it's really the time to detail. It's the skill of the operator and it's the time that they take to detail the image as well as perhaps some of the other components that come into it. Um, we have a separate modelling team to our rendering team. So the modelling, we make sure that everything gets done right. Uh, there is a lot of accuracy that is required in architectural presentations. Um, if a bench top is not 20 millimeters but it's 40 millimeters, 
per the specification, if the render artist has gone away and modeled up a 20 millimeter bench top, then it's going to look wrong. And if the developer isn't savvy enough to pick up on some of those small things, and bench top is a very obvious thing, there are other things that are not quite as obvious, that's when there is also sometimes cause for the end purchaser to come back at the developer and say, why doesn't my unit look like the image that you depicted? As much as there is an artist impression label on it, it is something that is being tested within the courts of law. And as you can imagine, with half a million dollar purchase, a purchaser would be fairly upset if it doesn't look exactly right. So that's where, in some ways, a $200 to $500 image is a big risk. Okay. Versus some of the higher end guys, and the difference between two and five is probably in a couple of nose hairs, <laughs> just like it is with a let's say a horse race where the number one horse wins probably by a tiny bit. But the difference is is in the emotive story. How good is that emotive story of an image, and how much does that influence the ultimate purchases? And that's obviously very subjective. Which is my next question about what makes for good visual imagery. Of course. So a good visual imagery is, on the technical side of things, it's about the accuracy. On the subjective and the emotive side of things, it is much more about how much mood does the image create? How well is it composed? What is the lighting like? How much does it influence purchases? about saying, wow, I'd love to live here. And ultimately, the answer is with the real estate agent who's then able to convey that, hey, with this development or with this apartment, that's the kind of lifestyle that you're going to enjoy. And so there are a lot of elements to a really good visual. A lot of those elements are subliminal and are not really a conscious kind of thing. A really bad visual stands out when it looks wrong and again it comes down to accuracy it comes down to technical execution it comes down to a lot of fundamentals that are not done right but the really really good visuals it's about the camera angle it's about the photography it's about how that whole thing is conveyed to the ultimate delivery and sometimes it's about also making the space lived in a lot of the time when photography is done for established dwellings, those apartments or houses, they have magazines on the coffee table or they have something else that indicates that it's going to be a way of life being there. That's what it's all about within our 3D space. We've even, with rugs, we've even made them imperfect We've added little creases in them. We've added throws onto beds and made them up so they were just recently put on there. So all those kind of elements that are imperfect, that's what makes the space look more lived in than if everything was just spotless and, I guess, without any kind of texture or feeling or any emotion. But no coffee stains on the white rug. No coffee stains. No <laughs> coffee stains, no wine droplets. <laughs> no, the like red that. wine glass yes, ring on the glass yes, table. Yeah, none of that. <laughs> uh, there is a fine line. Um, I remember with one development, the developer was a little bit more 
I suppose, um, edgy. And he said, oh, why don't you put a pair of uh, women's shoes next to the uh, bed? It was a kind of a studio apartment where the bedroom was part of the whole space. Uh, it was being separated by a very thin sort of a partition wall. Um, and yeah, as a bit of a visual experience, the developer said, oh, well, why don't we do that? Because that does add, add an element of life. I've seen other places where we can add a guitar or maybe a dog or maybe something that is a little bit more of the real world. However, the execution is where it's all about being really well technically because some of those elements to bring them in requires extra skills to texture and detail to then make it look like it's real. Just quickly, can you sim- give us a simple explanation of how you go from what is an, what you get supplied from an artist, which is uh, sorry from the architect, architect yeah. which would be what a CAD file? Sure. How do you go from a CAD file to mm. a three D visualization or if yeah, sure. finished product? Are we talking about external image or internal? Either. Either. Okay, so let's start with an exterior because I suppose. Um, Typical architects, what they'll provide us will be a flat AutoCAD drawing of the plans of the development that have been approved. Sometimes we do get a model from the architects. However, the challenge with some of those models is that the architects, when they're going through planning and they might have to adjust some things, don't often translate those changes back into the 3D model. And so often we're better off starting off from scratch. So is that a digital model? or a three, Yeah, it's a, a digital physical, 3D model. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, from an architectural software that um, there are a lot of them these days that allow the architect to actually produce renders because they can just allocate a couple of textures, press render, and off it goes. The finish of it is nowhere near photorealistic. However, it's often enough for conceptual planning applications. So if we're provided, let's say, CAD plans, then where we start off first is to create the model of it in 3D space. So the digital model that is accurate as per the CAD drawings. We often then also reflect back onto the landscape plan because the landscape plan will show us where the planting is, where the fences are and driveways, all these kind of elements because ultimately it's about pretty much building to scale the same thing that it would be like in reality. If we're not involved with the photo montage, so it's just an artist impression, uh, then the whole environment is created in 3D. Um, lighting, um, simulation of a sky, simulation of where the sun is going to sit at that time, um, other lights uh, that may accentuate, let's say, some of the building features. Um, we texture it up, which is a technical term for um, finding out what kind of brickwork is going to be used on the building and then applying that texture to the building. In some cases, if we're very close to the actual uh, solid piece of geometry, then it is worthwhile actually modeling those elements in. So let's say a cladding, a vertical cladding that might have a 20 mil uh, indent can be achieved with a texture or can be achieved with an actual model that actually represents that 20 mil indent in real space. Um, Once we've textured it up, once we've applied lighting to it, then the computer simulates a rendered out version of it, which basically a computer sits and 
line by line calculates every pixel on the image and works out what color and shape that pixel should be. Um, and then when that image is produced, we then take that into our post-processing software where we then bring it up a couple of notches. Uh, there's a lot of retouching that might need to be applied just to make sure that it pops. So photographic work, essentially. So that will be for an exterior experience. Um, often then cars are added within the 3D space. Uh, same thing that we touched on before with people, whether we're adding people in 3D or we're adding people in post-processing. Um, but ultimately that gets to a place where we can then present it to our client for them to review it. And with the way that we're set up, it is about delivering as best an image as possible because we're the the expert, let's say. Uh, we know what we're trying to achieve. We know that it needs to be presented in its best light. We're not waiting for our client to say, oh, well, why didn't you do this or why didn't you do that? It is about delivering an image that the client will say, wow, that looks amazing. Let's tweak this, tweak this, tweak this, and let's get it done because we've got to go to market. That's the best experience, ultimately. Um, with an interior, it's a little bit different because there are elements that are more related to interior design with interiors it becomes a little bit more complicated in some cases especially if the furniture that is selected is not available as a 3d model because those pieces of furniture we can't just uh, cut out out of a photo and plonk into an image it doesn't work um, it is far more complex so in a lot of cases, we're finding ourselves that we're building up custom models of different pieces of furniture because those pieces are not available as a ready-go 3D model that's textured up. Um, and so what we then do is we work a lot with interior designers to select various objects within that image that are going to create a lived-in space, an exciting space, an appealing space for the ultimate purchaser. So... We still start off with the same CAD plans initially, but once we've built up the 3D environment, which in a bedroom might just be four walls and a ceiling, but that needs to be now created to a different level and brought to life. And so to do that, a lot of interior design goes into it. Yeah, I always find it's one of the exciting points along the developing process when you start getting the uh, 3D renders done or the images done because sure. you start seeing the project come to life and it yes. starts to come off the paper or yeah. out of your head and starts to become a little bit more real. It's, it's quite Definitely. exciting. So what questions would you recommend that um, developers should be asking their visual artists if they're looking to engage them? Look, our work is pretty clear. In terms of selecting who's better or worse, our work is visual. And a picture, as a lot of people say, tells a thousand words. So track record and portfolio is clearly one of the first pieces of information that they need to know. However, what often developers don't understand it what is what actually went into creating that image and how long it took to create that image. And as we know, in development, time is money. So understanding the internal processes of a render team, I think, is going to be fairly important. Understanding how it goes from 
the CAD plans through to model, through to render, through to completion, and at least some elements of the artist or the company understanding the marketing and understanding the demographics of what they're trying to appeal to because one of the biggest keys is aligning every marketing consultant to the ultimate product that is going to be delivered. And if the 3D consultant is off the page from the creative agency, the creative agency might have a mood set for a summer, really warm imagery with photography that they did in the branding. They might come through with really warm colors and all those kind of elements. However, the visual artist might have their own idea and might think, well, I don't know, we're going to deliver it more in an autumn kind of a falling leaves on the ground and different colours and cooler weather and all that kind of stuff. And then when the delivery of those images is placed next to the creative agency's images, imagery, they're completely disjointed. That is where a campaign can easily fall apart. And we're talking about reasonably high-end projects. We're not talking about just a small development that just has a couple of images and it's ready to go to realestate.com. It is very important to make sure that everybody's on the same page. And that's probably where a lot of those visual artists should be a part of conversations with creative agencies, understanding the branding, understanding how the process is going to be rolled out, and understanding timeframes and keeping to those timeframes. Developers should also understand how those timeframes are created. Um, I'm sure you can mention about the white paper that we've put together around those insights to 3D visuals that developers can download. In there, we talk about some of the elements that do need to go into interior imagery, exterior imagery, how they should be detailed, how they should be thought about before they're actually getting the final result. So a really good place to start is having a look at documents like that. I've had a look at it. It's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. And Justin, look, I might give you the link as well that you can post in the notes and then they can just click on that and download it straight from there. Yeah, perfect. Okay, so what's happening in the industry that may be of interest to developers? One of the biggest developments, I suppose, that a lot of developers are thinking about, at least at this stage, is the impact of changing technology. And... Things like virtual reality coming on board in a better capacity now than it was before. Augmented reality, uh, mobile applications, all of these terms are being thrown around at the moment. Um, Especially virtual reality, I suppose having been in the industry for the last 15 or so years, I've seen a lot being tried because of a fairly large proportion of properties being sold offshore from Australia at the moment, uh, consistency of message becomes a very important element of a marketing campaign. To create that in a local environment, developers build a display suite. When they build a display suite, they can show everything there is to know about that particular development within that display suite. However, if they're being asked to take that development to Kuala Lumpur or Singapore or Shanghai or Hong Kong or any of these, um, I guess, centres of project marketing, taking those elements physically with them becomes very complicated. 
new technology with virtual reality allows a purchaser to be placed physically or virtually into an environment that is created. So potentially there is that ability to transport a displace weed, but without actually having the physical elements there. So um, we are doing a lot of research and development into that space at the moment. I feel that it's still probably a couple of years away until it is properly integrated into the marketplace. At this stage, it is a little bit more of a gimmick in terms of its marketing. However, there are experiences that are being created in a virtual space. The challenge is that the people who are buying property at the moment, they're not used to a virtual environment and being disconnected from the physical space that they're in. And so as soon as a headset is being placed onto the purchaser, it disconnects them from where they are. There might be a salesperson sitting next to them talking in their ear. They might be looking through that environment where they are in a virtual space. If that environment is being controlled by someone else, it is a very quick way to get vertigo <laughs> because you are outside of uh, where your eyes can see the walls and you can feel the floor and so but there is a lot of technology that has been developed for that method um, and so one of the exciting developments also is it's om it's an omnidirectional treadmill so then you're able to actually take the purchaser completely out of a space where they're standing on and place them into an environment where with a headset with a joystick controller in their hand and standing on an omnidirectional treadmill, they can walk around the space, they can look around everything, they can uh, open doors, they can do a whole bunch of things that are really, really cool. So that sort of stuff is coming. Again, the implementation of it, the execution of it, ability for a marketing agent to help a purchaser understand what the space is about and ultimately sign a check for a couple of million bucks if that's what they're being sold. Um, that is yet to be proven, but there is a lot of technology that's coming out. All right, and what about space. drones? Because I've been thinking about buying a drone to sure. take some footage of the construction work as it goes on and then also yes. to get some great pan shots across the properties once they're done. Sure. Uh, what's, what's your view on drones? Um, in two words, be careful, <laughs> because... Um, we work a lot with photographers that are licensed by CASA to fly drones. There is a lot of, um, I suppose, new legislation that's coming through for drones and what you can and what you can't do and what you shouldn't do with drones. Uh, there was a famous case of a real estate agent taking a photo of a property and they happened to see a backyard of another property where there was a woman sunbaking in that backyard. And when they got that photo and they didn't actually realize that there was somebody else in the backyard of a neighboring property, um, the owner of the next door property went and sued the real estate agent. So those kind of litigations are starting to come through. And that's where, I guess, if you want to do it for your own purposes, um, there's plenty of drones that you can pick up. Um, the quality of the photography is not very good as much as it is 4K the fact that the actual aperture and the size of the lens is tiny when it comes in for montages not only is the imagery fairly distorted but it's also quite pixelated when you zoom into it 
So for our purposes, it doesn't work. We use much higher level photographers, much higher level cameras to get drone footage like that. Uh, however, for proper execution of it, it is a fantastic tool. Uh, it is a tool that allows architects to see how their building is going to look at a variety of different levels. They can start to put those backdrop photos into the building digital model and see the views outside of every different level and elevations because drones can be fairly accurately controlled. Um, for us, they can provide panorama shots for montages for 3D renders, obviously, for a lot of interiors. Um, we're experimenting right now with back to the virtual reality where we would essentially need a sphere photo, a spherical photo, to place into a backdrop of an apartment because when a person is standing in a virtual space and they're looking up and down, they need to be able to see different levels of that shot if they walk outside onto the balcony, they should be able to look up and see what's actually going on up above. So drones are very, I guess, exciting as well. However, be careful around how you actually use them <laughs> and don't fly them too high. <laughs> <laughs> All right, kind of kick back and then I think you were saying the importance of good imagery is just going to increase with planning and uh, applications that go to council or if they don't sure. get knocked back going to a tribunal for a decision. Yeah, yeah. Look, explain your thinking on that. Look, I suppose the elements of visual representation of buildings um, have been in place for a very long time. Technology has improved, so has the sophistication of legal representatives on both sides. In the beginning, perhaps, a councillor may not feel the difference between one image and another and may just take it as hearsay upon the accuracy of that image. Uh, we recently had a case where, and it's a little bit off topic, but it's a bit of a case study, where it was a council refusing an application for 10 townhouses in Keylor, and because the project was overlooking a reserve and there was a walkway down the gully of that reserve where the council felt that if a person was walking along that pathway they would look up that actually see all those buildings rather than seeing perhaps one or two detached houses and so that would impact on their neighborhood character and it would make not for a very good development let's put it in that terms what we need needed to present is an accurate photomontage from a couple of different vantage points, both from the bottom of the gully and across the actual hill, probably about 50 metres away from the actual development. So it's a fair distance away, um, yeah, probably more like, yeah, more like two, 300 metres away rather than 50 because down and back up the hill. Um, and we ended up producing three sets of images. We produced a set of images which had no landscaping at all. We produced a set of images that had landscaping at a young maturity age because what the landscape designer did is they placed a whole bunch of trees that are going to grow to eight metres high by the time they fully mature. And so that would obviously separate completely any kind of um, 
buildings from the view of the person walking along the bottom of the gully. And ultimately the final landscape uh, render that had fully grown trees. All of those images were then presented to the council with our statement of methodology, which is a process, a report describing the process that we went about to deliver those images and to ensure the accuracy of those images. There are elements of survey, there are elements of photography that are fairly important uh, around that kind of imagery because ultimately what the barrister on the other side should be able to do is pick up the image, look at it and say, yep, that looks right, without any questions, and put it back down. If something is untoward, perhaps, in the image, um, maybe the perspective is out, or something that can be picked up by a naked eye, then that's where those images get questioned. Those images then perhaps will be thrown out as supporting evidence, and I'm not one to speculate, but clearly the council or the people objecting may have a stronger standing in that particular hearing. So, uh, again, same as in marketing, photomontage renders are very, very important at that interface, especially if the application is being questioned. Yeah, I what, think, sorry, I think it is important to have good images going in with your town planning application, particularly if you're looking to push the boundaries a little bit. Absolutely. I think it's really helpful for council officers to see what it's going to look like rather than just having CAD drawings or sure. external elevations that have yeah. been done in CAD or some other program that Absolutely. don't look great. They look okay. They give yeah. you some idea, but they, don't, they have no emotion in them. That's and right. I don't think that allows the council officer or whoever's assessing it to buy into it themselves exactly because they can get caught up in the, in the imagery too if it's good definitely and they go oh this actually looks really good in exactly yep yeah let's put it through yeah and so in the case of uh, that kilo project um, they had a look at all of our images and ultimately were successful in, in obtaining a permit uh, and it wasn't just because of our imagery but our imagery definitely sold the story of how that development is going to sit within the streetscape and it's not going to obstruct the views and it's actually going to complement and do all that kind of stuff. And so there's a really high level of importance. But coming back to your question of how important, I suppose, these images are going to become in the next little while, well, we've all seen the cycles of the development space. Uh, Melbourne has grown by a double-digit percentage over the last year or so. Sydney has grown considerably. Brisbane is apparently starting to take off. And so as those, I suppose, the cycles move on, at some stage there will be a slowdown of some sort because the land prices are going to escalate beyond the feasibilities that the developers will start saying, well, yeah, right now maybe it's not a good time to buy. And as they slow down their activity other things will slow down as well. And planning controls are always changing. One of the things that has come through in the last couple of years was the complete changing of the zoning in Melbourne that has restricted some zones and allowed further growth in other zones. All of those new planning, I suppose, decisions are going to be then tested within tribunal. And developers achieve a greater level of... Um, profitability by pushing the envelope and so 
perhaps more projects will be going through a hearing and a mediation process. So then that's why I feel perhaps there will be a more greater need for higher quality photomontages for tribunal level. Yeah, That's good. And then uh, leading on from that, if there is a, a slowdown, which yep. is inevitable yep. at some yep. stage, yep. you really want the best marketing materials you possibly can to entice people to consider yep. your project or your product and yep. make an inquiry and buy. Definitely. That's what it's all about ultimately. So um, what we have found is that in times of slowdown, developers often start spending more on their marketing imagery because it is going to be about really standing out from the crowd. And if somebody has two images describing their project, somebody else has four. Well, for the purchasers they're much more likely to look at the one with the four because there's more information about the development. And as buyers change and demographics change, perhaps less baby boomers buying the projects and more Generation Xs who are used to receiving all the information, making their own decisions, and then making the phone calls. As all of that changes, I suppose, uh, there will always be a need for visual representations of projects. Yeah. Great. All right, so have you got one tip for developers to help them be better developers or deliver better products? Um, yeah, there's, again, back to the white paper, that's got a lot of really good information for developers with whoever visual artists they choose to work with. Uh, for us, I think one of the biggest keys that separates really well-run campaigns to campaigns that just falter in whatever way is to have all the information ready all the specifications ready to be as clear about the project as possible and not change decisions. Uh, we are now up to our 390th project since we have started in 2008 um, and I can easily say that the ones that have been successful were not only the ones where the developers knew exactly what they wanted but they also were really well organised and prepared with their information for people like us because we're going to have a lot of questions those questions need to be answered. We shouldn't be guessing. If we are starting to guess, then that leaves room for questions and variations and revisions and problems. We don't want those problems. We want a smooth, straightforward road. So if our developers are better prepared, we find that they have a quicker and a smoother way through. All right. And if people want to find out more about you or about sure. vision, where yeah. should they head? Certainly. So, look, eaglevision.com.au is the best place to start. Um, as mentioned before, the white paper called Five Insights to 3D Visuals for Effective Off-the-Plan Marketing Campaigns, that's a really good place to start. Um, it'll have those five key insights. It has a number of case studies and shows examples of why those insights are applicable. There are also a lot of information to use, obviously, for a variety of artists. Um, yeah, that's a good place to start. And I know that people can sign up to your email list and you do send out Certainly. regular marketing and information which is really useful around developments and visual Definitely. imagery. So uh, yeah. that's also worthwhile getting on Absolutely. To. Thank you. We produce a newsletter that we've called Saw Your Profits uh, and it is all about educating developers around the off-the-plan marketing space where we're in. Uh, we often feature expert professionals from our space on video um, as well as different articles around 3D imagery and elements around having people in renders or um, 
where why I guess this render would be like that what are some of the hidden traps in renders uh, what's the difference between cheap renders and expensive renders all those kind of articles we talk a lot about all those elements here wonderful well Stan thank you so much for being on the property developer podcast sure thank you very much Justin for having us we'll see you soon cheers thanks okay there you have it everything you need to make sure your next set of visual images are right for your product getting your renders right can be the difference between sitting on stock with limited inquiries or selling out fast with multiple offers a great set of visual marketing materials can really get the juices flowing of a buyer and get them excited about what you have to offer here are the three key points I took out of that conversation with Stan. 1. Allocate sufficient budget to get a couple of really great renders done. Understand your market and audience and budget for the best possible renders you can afford. Research suppliers and check their portfolios and process to make sure they fit with the results you are looking for. And of course, try to be better than other visual offerings in your market. 2. Get the key elements of your renders right. Stan talked about accuracy, mood, composition, and lighting. So focus on these areas when you are briefing your visual artist or reviewing drafts. Remember to avoid renders devoid of emotion, and you need to try and dazzle and seduce. 3. Good imagery should tell a story. Lifestyle, mood, and emotion can all be portrayed in a good render. So work hard to create story and emotion in your renders, and check out what the high-end developers produce for their projects and see what you can borrow from their direction and elements. There's nothing wrong with seeking inspiration from the big guys. Now Stan mentioned the white paper he has published, which includes lots of really useful content about getting the best visual imagery done for your next project. And I've included a link to it in the show notes for this episode. So head over to propertydeveloperpodcast.com and find this episode and grab a copy of it. I have looked through it and I think it is worth your time. And if you are interested, sign up for Eagle Vision's regular newsletter. Stan does try to fill it with useful content for developers. And you can always check out the Eagle Vision website at eaglevision.com.au for lots of useful resources related to 3D imagery. Okay, that's another show almost done. Catch me on Instagram at Property Developer Podcast for all my latest property developer porn pics. Drop by iTunes and leave a review or head over to propertydeveloperpodcast.com to comment on the show. As always, I'm grateful to you for listening in, and until next time, may your digital renders dazzle and seduce. You've been listening to the Property Developer Podcast. Tune in next time for more tips, ideas, and inspiration to take your developing to the next level. For more developing love, make sure to visit propertydeveloperpodcast.com.